Howdy to everyone. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Travis Richards. I am back with part two with my business coach, one of my business coaches, John Savanto. John is my Vistage chair. We went into a little bit about Vistage chair, about about Vistage peer groups uh, and the value that that can bring to you as a specifically as a leader of a business. Uh, in part one. And so if you have not listened to part one, I highly recommend that you go back and check that one out. I'm a super pro Vistage guy. If you want more information about that, you can always reach out. I'm happy to share about my experience with that and the value that I find there. But today, among many valuable lessons that I have learned from John Savanto, this is the one that always sticks with me. As he once told me, relationships need to exist at the right level. You know, and basically, John was encouraging me. He's like, "Hey, look, as the CEO, you need to be talking with the leaders of the other businesses, and that's where your relationship, you know, belongs. And this is not only for your benefit, but for the benefit of your entire team. And so, in this episode, we are going to go into that concept, and I, I believe we will make the case about why." Uh, Everyone within your organization needs to have relationships at the right level and how that how helpful that is going to be. So, John, thank you so much for coming back. Appreciate the additional time. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be back. Yeah. Well, so when did you g- give me kind of a little bit of a I don't know if there is actually I've never asked you this before, but I don't know if there is an origin story behind this lesson. Can you t- can you point back to a time whenever this idea of Having having a relationships that you know throughout the organization where everyone has the relationship at the right level was there a time whenever this message like really clicked for you and you were just like man this is a really important concept I, I think so and I think it's happened several times I, I do remember that before I I was in leading companies where I become a CEO it was really tough to connect with CEOs. They're, they're out there somewhere, they're doing something. And uh, then how do you connect with them? And what I realized, or what I learned, I think, is that what's the value of them connecting with me? So I'm asking for something. Hey, CEO, I want to talk to you because or I, I'm looking to learn this. Or I'm, but what am I really providing them? And I'm not providing them knowledge or value unless there's something that I can do. Why have a conversation with me? And so as I started getting more involved in that thought process, I would also see that billionaires, they often associate with other billionaires. And it's about logistics because what happens is they go and they meet at these nice places around the world. And they get on their private jets or what have you. And they typically don't share jets that much. <laughs> and, uh, but if you're not playing at that level, it's very difficult to schedule with uh, one of them and say, hey, I'll be uh, in your private island, but I have to <laughs> take a couple stops. And, because, and then I have to take this little puddle jumper over because that's, I, don't, I haven't got it. Yeah. Very quickly, it falls apart. And uh, you run out of money very quickly. And uh, it's it's a mismatch. Yeah. And, and I use a monetary example. It's, it's easy to identify. The, the other point is if you're 
a leader, if you're a CEO of a of an organization of company, your role is to make transformational change. And if you're going to make transformational change, you have to be dealing with other people who are making that same level of change. That's a CEO. You know, I, I like, you know, you kind of hear the, there's like the old joke or whatever. And I don't remember like, you know, I mean, you see it in movies and stuff. It's like, Hey, I'll, I'll, I'll have my people talk to your people. And, you know, I always, you know, you know, previously it's like, you know, Hey, you know, for anybody that does not know me, like I am not a billionaire, do not have a private jet, nor do I have a private Island. And it's like, so, you know, and, and, and most of, and, and I actually don't know any CEOs that have any, I don't ha- know any CEOs that have any of those things at present. And so it's, this is not to say that it's just like, hey, look, the CEO is like, they're just too busy for you. Like, they're not going to talk to you, whatever. It's just more about like the CEOs that I know that are really being serious about running their businesses or whatever. It is, they kind of can get, it's very easy to get sucked down into the grass, what I call it, right? Like, you know, if you're the CEO and leading your business, you need to have your head up above the grass so that you can see the lions that are out there that are maybe about to get you. When you're down at the grass, you know, you can't see what's coming. And so it's really a discipline, like as the leader of the business to not to deal with, you know, like if you're the CEO and you're leading the company, it is, it is harmful in many cases to the person that you have entrusted with the responsibility to manage the sales to get down there and start talking at a transactional level because you know the person that you have entrusted with that responsibility knows more than you do about that and they are actually going to be able to do a better job of servicing the customer than you can in that situation whereas your role as a CEO is probably to have a higher level relationship with that thing so that you can make sure that number 1 our companies doing business together is something that is going is is a good fit could quote like yes this is the right relationship one company to another and you know another benefit is that now you have kind of this escalation path where it's like if either side is not living up to their end of the bargain whatever that may be now there is a higher level relationship that can kind of come together and sort out whatever maybe fundamental differences that there are yeah i think at its most fundamental level is and here's an issue. If a CEO has been a brilliant sales leader in a past life, and then they start a company and they're driving an enormous amount of the sales, initially at least, the most important step is to get to where that brilliant sales leader CEO is no longer responsible for the majority of the sales. Because Ultimately, you're not building a team. And so you're a bottleneck. And until you build a team that's competent, capable, and and does this hopefully better than you, you are too much in the business. And I've heard, well, it's okay because I'm growing the business on it really quickly. There is going to be a point, though, that that will cloud your judgment because you're in the weeds and very... Uh, insightful. So that's why I, my conversation with CEOs is I like to see half of your week uh, be working on the business. Oh, John, I'm doing the business. You know, I'm doing the business. This is, I got too much stuff going on. I'm too important to this thing continuing to run. And when I hear that, that's 
uh, a pretty clear indication of limiting value. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think it's like, so Jim Collins, uh, you know, who wrote good to great, great by choice, built to last, uh, brilliant business researcher. And he was doing, I believe that he was doing some consulting work with some company and I don't remember who it was and he may not have ever revealed the identity of this person, but they're working through some kind of a problem or whatever. And the company was having some struggles, uh, you know, trying to continue to grow and maintain this trajectory, this positive trajectory they were on. And kind of like what you're saying, John, is that the CEO was very much like hands-on with everything that was going on. And so Jim Collins, as he said, he's like, okay, look here, he finally like light bulb goes off and he's like, here's the problem. You, sir, are a genius. And you have not built a company. You are a genius with a thousand helpers. That's not a team. That's, you know, one person, you know, that's, that's a, you know, a hundred handed puppeteer. That's not, you know, it's, it's, it's not, it's not the same. And you're not going to unleash all of that human potential whenever you were down, you know, swooping in and, you know, disrupting the relationships that your team is trying to build with the people that are at their appropriate level. So I guess just kind of like, you know, talk about some of the potential that can be unleashed whenever the leader of a company or the leader of a team gets out of the way and lets their team do what they were brought on to do. The, I think part of the, what we see is if we look at the business statistics, what is it? 90% of businesses fail in the first five years and the next five, the other 90% fail. And out of those companies that survive, how many actually reach 10 million in gross revenues? It's, it's a fractional percentage. And then out of those, how many of them are, are medi- mediocrely run versus really well run? And so if we look at what that bottleneck looks like at a macro level, that's what it looks like. From creating value in terms of it's how you serve your clients. So on a company level, let's say you've got a, a growing company, relatively successful. And, and I'll ask these questions, which a little bit indirect, but getting to the same point of what is the value that's being limited? It's, uh, can you take two weeks off consecutively? No. Okay, why not? Well, because the wheels would come off. Can you take 30 days off consecutively? Not a chance, John. Uh, I run the company. Can you take 60 days off? That's that's crazy talk, John. You know, nobody takes 60 days off. What that indicates to me is you haven't built a company that can perform on its own without you. And the other side, I'll hear from CEOs. Well, John, you know what? I need to be here because if I'm not here, it's not working. And so I haven't got the right kind of people and I just don't know why they can't uh, do what I can do. And it's like, well, because you designed it that way. You built it intentionally. Yeah. Well, there's, you know, there's a recent conversation that I was hearing with uh, Dan Sullivan, who's another one of my, you know, mentors and a great entrepreneurial thinker. And he said something that was very like enlightening and kind of like a light bulb went off. For me, because you know, I, I am admittedly, uh, you know, a little, you know, I, I certainly tend toward being 
too hands-on and too in, in too down in the grass, you know, and what Dan was talking about is that he says, you know, he, he will, he's very good at coming up with some kind of a change that he wants to make an initiative that he wants to take on project he wants to do. And then he hands it off. And whenever he does, he kind of just like, will sit in admiration of uh, the person that's executing it and say like, and, and he says this, like, man, I never would have done it that way. And there's two ways that you can say that phrase. It's like, you know, there's, you know, you can, you know, stamp your, you know, stomp your feet and throw a tantrum. It's like, I never would have done it that way. Or you can look at it and say, man, I never would have done it that way. And it's like the thing that he was, that he was saying or whatever that just really clicked is that he's like, yes, this person that you gave it to, it's like, they would not have done it the way you did. It's like, that's the point. That's why you hired them. And if you're a CEO, if you're doing, you know, especially if you're, as you're starting out and growing the business, everybody's wearing multiple hats, you know, early on. Right. Absolutely. And it's like, yeah, I mean, that's just kind of part of it. And if, if things are going well, hopefully you're in a position to fire yourself from roles that you are in and bringing in somebody with the whole idea that they, what, that they can do it better than you. And so if you were the person that's controlling all of the relationships, you know, and you're the person that's got to talk to the vendors and you're the person that has to talk to, you know, the, the, you know, every single customer. And you're the person that has to talk to the plant team that's, you know, shipping stuff out. And you're the person that's, it's like, why bother hiring a team at all? <laughs> just, 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 you know, decide yeah. to stay small, do be, it yourself. Be wonderful and do it on your own. Yeah. Which is, of course, never very realistic. And the other component too is CEOs need to spend time with other CEOs. Yeah. And uh, because there's a lot of learning that goes on and building a phenomenal team. If, if you trust the team that you build, what a greater feeling than that, because you know, they're doing everything in their roles better than you could individually do in any of those roles. And that, that takes, that takes humility though. That, that takes a, that takes an appreciation for you know, a different skill set than what you would bring to the table, you know? And like, it just kind of goes back to the whole, like, yeah, this person that you brought on, they're not going to do it the way that you would have done it. And, uh, but that's, but you know, that should be a good thing. You know, the, the, hopefully the way that they are doing it is better than what you would have done. Yeah. And humility is, is incredibly valuable. The counterpoint of that is, uh, pride and ego is incredibly expensive. And the sooner <laughs> that gets whacked out of a leader, uh, either through failure or um, working towards being open and accepting of, of people who are more responsible, who are better at what they do than you could do, uh, you'll get there. And when I hear, well, I don't know why my employees aren't happy. I don't know why my leadership team is ineffective. I don't know why my clients are going with their competitors because, well, they have nothing to latch on to other than this construct that you think is valuable. And they're telling you it's not valuable. Yeah. It's the, the feedback is there if you're willing to listen. So, you know, there's a lot of people that are, you know, either just starting out or like, you know, just kind of the multiple hats situation, right? Where there's, uh, you know, sometimes, you know, you put on, you, you have to put on your, you know, shipping manager hat. And run a bunch of stuff to UPS because it's like you know, look, you're a small company and you're growing, and you don't have the you know the the money and cash flow to support bringing on new people and all that. So, 
for people that are in that situation where they are wearing multiple hats, including being the CEO and the leader of the business, how do you kind of balance that? Because it's like, you know, clearly it's not helpful or smart for you to spend all of your time kind of elevated above the business and, you know, looking way out because you, you do have to mine the store, so to speak. Yeah. And so let's look at a, a startup company. The singular focus is to survive for another day. Yeah. And the first 1 million in revenues, you do anything that you can get there in terms of whether you're doing training, presentations, driving for Uber or Lyft, you're trying to create revenue streams so that you can survive. Yeah. And that singular focus that a CEO or founder has that I am going to make it work, I am going to break gravity in spite of everything that's against me, and I know I'm going to make it, is the same, that brilliance and drive is then what starts being the issue as they get higher into revenues. So let's say two, three, four, five million, because now to be able to get up there, you need to hire competent and capable people. And, uh, and then you have to put systems and processes in place. And that is typically where the, the founder CEO suffers in making those decisions. They're pretty good at creating cash. Yeah, that's what they had to do to get off. That's what they had to do to get to that spot in the first place. Yes. and uh, But then it ends up being, it's not just raw force of will and 100-hour weeks that can get you forward. And so how does one start getting into a construct or an environment uh, beyond that? There, there are a couple ways that I think companies could grow faster than they do. They start hiring great people earlier. Yeah. The, the fastest growing companies that I've seen are ones that make a decision very early on, even when the cash flows are tight, I'm going to bring on some great people. And then they elevate that company to the next level. So what would you advise to somebody that is, you know, struggling to be, to make that commitment and to be courageous where it's like you're, uh, you know, where you're at a certain level and well, actually, let me let me let me back that up. Is that um, how does one make the decision as to whether or not they want to grow to that next level of of challenge? That's a great question. Because because I mean, there's 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 a ton of people that are out there that are running, you know, you know, kind of reverse engineering, you know, like life, you know, kind of running a lifestyle business where it's like, I, you know, this is the lifestyle that I want. And I am going to create a structure that delivers that. And that's, and they don't want more than that. They don't want to continue to grow. So like, you know, somebody that's kind of struggling with that question, what would you suggest that they ask themselves about, do they, should they take the next step? Should they move on or, you know, uh, stay with what they have and continue to enjoy what they've created? Yes. Yeah, and that's a wonderful question. So let's call a lifestyle business, anything up to about 2 million. So a solopreneur model, and that could be anyone who's providing a product or service. It could be from plumbers to technicians. So the one thing is, are you creating yourself a job? So if you're creating yourself a job, however, in a slightly more tax efficient way, because as you're running that sole proprietorship and LLC, uh, you're not a W-2 employee and you're able to get some tax advantages that aren't available otherwise. So the next question is, do I want to create something more than a job? And the biggest hurdle I often hear is, 
well, I don't want to really hire people because people come problems and people, there's issues and, and it gets difficult. I think the question there is what happens? And it's a, let's look at a sort of two-way route is, can I kick out enough revenues out of this job or solo uh, operation that I run as a lifestyle business that I can then invest in other assets and create passive income? At some point, I'm going to stop working. Either I'm going to make that decision or life's going to make that decision. Yeah. I was about to say, I mean, it's like that there's, you know, I guess that that's, uh, you know, before you made that, before you made that statement or whatever, is that it's like, yeah, dude, everybody stops working. Right. You know, and it, you know, it's, uh, not necessarily at, you know, 65 or 55, if you want to retire early or whatever, it's just, you know, like, Hey, look, you know, father time is undefeated. Yeah. You know, the grim reaper is going to get you at some point. And so, yeah, so everybody stops working. And so I guess that that's the, well, then it's a question of what kind of value do I want to continue to provide to others? So whatever my company is, if I think it's providing a, an enormous value or service, and doesn't matter what it is, product, services, it can be anything. Well, then would it be, would people be better off if I continue to provide more of that? And am I willing to invest in doing that? So it, it's, I think it's a question of, we always focus on what do I want? What do I want? How am I going to do this? How? And, and I think that's where the roadblock comes in. Bring other people into the conversation. Other people who have started where you've started and are you where you are and also that have grown into uh, different levels. So I guess it is so like, I mean, it's a. What I don't want to do here is I don't want to just be like, hey, you know, look, you know, certainly don't want to paint solopreneurship and, uh, you know, kind of creating, you know, sort of that self turn like in some circles that the term lifestyle business has kind of got a negative connotation. And it's like, and I don't think that it's bad at all. You know, like I think that it's great if that is what you want, but I guess that, you know, so you have to just be thoughtful and intentional about answering that question and looking at the implications of like, you know, like obviously there's consequences to either decision. If you want to grow beyond that, then yes, you are going to have to take on the challenge and adventure of bringing, of putting together a team. And if you, you know, and if you don't, you're going to have to deal with the challenge and adventure of this thing completely relies on you. And maybe it doesn't, you know, the, the world doesn't get that thing if you're not physically there doing it. And, uh, you know, you don't get the income if you're not doing it, you know, probably. So it's an interesting, I think it's an interesting question to ask. I'm, I certainly would not fault anybody for making either of those choices, assuming that they had been intentional and thoughtful about what was right for them. Well, and, and it's not binary. I think that's the issue we, we as humans look at. It's either or. Well, why don't you consider growing it and continue to have a lifestyle business? That's okay. And I've, I have some relatively successful business owners uh, who work with, and they say, hey, John, I don't want to work anymore. I like to grow this, but I don't want to work anymore. I'm like, okay, well, let's design it that way. How about you work less? I, I, I haven't really thought of it that way. And so what if this becomes more valuable, you work less and you continue to provide more value to the end customers whom you know you're doing a wonderful service uh, for? Yeah, I'd kind of be willing to think about that. And uh, what are next steps? Well, let's talk about it. 
Yeah. Well, and you know, you mentioned that and then it's like, you know, the other thing that I thought of, and maybe I am going to plug, you know, get a team and hire people because, you know, like that's all I know, but it's, uh, you know, kind of the question of like, you know, this person that says like, Hey, I don't want to work anymore. You know, and they say that and it's just like, well, you know, like everybody, you know, has a, you know, section of stuff that they are doing, you know, in their business that they like and a section of stuff that they don't like as much, or they don't feel that they're as good at. And it's kind of like, well, maybe just ask the question, what if you were doing more and more of the things that you enjoyed and less of the things that you didn't like? Absolutely. I, I would say, let's start looking at stripping out the things that you don't enjoy because you're probably not that good at them anyways. Mm-hmm. Probably not. And, and even the things that you do enjoy, if you're not the best person for doing that, which you're probably not, Let's get people who are great at it because ultimately at a foundational level, that solopreneur or business owner, they do two things. They find people, great people, and hopefully they communicate clearly. Yeah. So somebody that has decided that they do want to, that they do want to grow and they do want to take on the adventure and challenge of building out a team or a larger team than what they currently have. Like, what, how would you advise someone to, you know, make the commitment, be courageous, take the leap and do it? You know, cause it's, I mean, like, cause I mean, frankly, it's like, look, there's a, uh, you know, this is, this is all great. Assuming that your cash flow can support it. Right. I mean, this is all a great idea. If you can bring on people, assuming that it's going, that you can support it. And a, a lot of people that are at the transition of growing or building out their teams, you know, Maybe they don't have that kind of confidence. And so what would you advise uh, as people are making those assessments? Yeah, it's a a great question. I think as quickly as possible, start getting involved with other leaders. So whether it's incubators uh, in your hometown or area where they provide expert guidance, um, not necessarily that they're going to be funding your company, but you get to hang out with people who've done it over and over and who are doing it. Uh, talk to other business owners. Uh, it's rare that CEOs, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty lonely road. And, and I think it's rare that if you reach out to another CEO, it's like, this is what's going on and I don't know. Would you mind taking a little bit of time to walk and talk through it? Uh, it's because they're excited about that. Somebody wants to talk to them about business, which is difficult. And and as there's informal groups uh, or get involved in some sort of formal uh, peer group situation uh, where you're in a structured, supportive environment. And what's so important about that is that you're focusing on the business, the big questions of the business. And I think that's where as as people are trying to figure out how to run a successful company, they they really do a disservice that they don't really search out with the people who are running successful companies. Yeah. And, and often the first time isn't going to work. Many of the successful, all the successful CEOs I've ever worked with, uh, it's never been an overnight success. No, that's not a thing. Yeah. And it's and often it hasn't been their first kick at the can. Yeah. Uh, I think one had 12 kicks at the can and, uh, you know, talk about resilience and coming back for more. 
Yeah. I mean, so this is, uh, you know, Carlos Lazo, who was the previous guest on the program and one of my, you know, just a, just a total powerhouse in our peer group. Uh, you know, yeah, I mean, I, I found this out the other day and I, and it's like, I, I never would have known this, you know, before, you know, we had talked about it, but it's like, you know, he had had, you know, I think, like you said, I think it was seriously like a dozen attempts at starting a business and he just put one foot in front of the other, kept at it, kept at it, kept at it. Now he's got a, you know, Inc. 5000 company, you know, best, you know, one of the best run businesses in El Paso, you know, just like seeing this monster success and on an amazing growth trajectory. But it's like, you know, none of that stuff happens overnight, you know? Yeah, he's a phenomenal leader. And what's more important, like everyone in the group, he's a phenomenal person. And to be so lucky for a emerging entrepreneur to be able to be able to speak with a Carlos or a Travis or people who are in it and doing it, that that's the kind of stuff that you can't buy. You can't buy it, but uh, to really be that focused on it. And when we talk about business, how much do people spend time studying business? Like you don't need a, you know, one self-help book should be able to do it. And you know, a one business book, a good one should be able to do it. Uh, but there's value in repetition. There's value in study. Uh, that takes a long time, though. And so get involved with the people that have already made this a part of their life. And they'll help guide you and they'll lead you and, and they'll challenge you because that's where the tough stuff is. Often you need a kick in the, in the pants or, or somebody to sort of pull you forward to get out of that rut. And that problem, which almost seems unsolvable and so difficult, maybe it's actually an opportunity that's wrapped up in a construct of a problem. Uh, but it's because of fear or just trying to uh, push forward. We don't realize that or I as a business owner don't realize that. Yeah. Well, and, and, and you know, and I, I guess at the final point here is that this is, you know, we've of course been talking about the CEO level because that's what I, I know and what John helps me with. And, but I, I think that this idea of the, you know, having relationships kind of at the right level is something that cascades down throughout an entire organization. You know, like you just think about that, you know, sales, you know, sales leader to sales leader, you know, you know, the, you know, purchaser to account manager, you know, like just kind of having those relationships throughout, because it's like, those are literally the resident experts on that, on, on that particular area within a business. And I I think that any leader, no matter where you're positioned within your company, like you're just going to see a lot more effective and, and, and speedy progress. If you allow people to have those relationships, you know, you know, at, at the right level so that everybody is able to hang with their, their peers and get done what needs doing at that, at that point. Well, and that's a wonderful point because it's not just CEOs. So if you look at a group such as Vistage, there's key groups, there's emerging leader groups, there's trusted advisor groups that allow people to play in the same space and level so that they can contribute and reach new levels. Yeah. And it's just, you know, and you think about the kind of conversation, just, just like the, uh, you know, everybody, like I said, you know, people mentioned that whole thing. It's like, yeah, it's lonely at the top. And it's like, well, look, it's like, if you're a middle manager at a company, it's like, it's lonely at that level too. It's like, you know, especially if you're in a small organization where maybe you're sort of the only person that lives at that level, you know, you don't have a peer group that's like, 
Hey, you know, I'm trying to grow and there's no upward mobility for me here. What should I do? You know, there's, or like, man, I'm, you know, trying to, you know, work with the people that are, you know, down at the, you know, shop floor, customer service level or whatever. And I'm really struggling at that. It's like, that's, you know, you, you may not have somebody within your organization that can empathize with you. And so finding the, you know, having those relationships or whatever, and then, you know, also kind of, you know, again, plug in for a formal setting like Vistage or something else, you know, that everybody wants to be, you know, seen and heard. And it's a lot easier to do that whenever you are maintaining those relationships, you know, those peer relationships. Yeah. And I think it, it helps if we look to other high performance environments. So if we look at professional sports, I think every single professional athlete has a coach. They probably have a coach outside of it. They've had coaches developing. And, but then if you look at company owners or developing leaders, how many have a coach? And so maybe that's, and that's not to say that everyone needs a coach in that route, but if you're going to look at performance and see and what performance looks and feels and sounds like, that's probably a good way to get there. And you can start out fractionally. You can start with peer groups. You can incubators, what have you. Just get surrounded with other people who are playing the game of business. Yeah. And this, you know, this is the, the, on the coaching point. And uh, we can wrap up with this is that, you know, my, my friend, Jill Young, who's my uh, EOS implementer and another one of my mentors, uh, she's talking about, uh, you know, there's whether or not someone should get a coach or, you know, whether, you know, or whether someone should get professional help with, you know, implementing a business system or something like that. And she's just like, well, look, uh, if you decide that you want to run a marathon and John knows this is a marathon runner, is that, uh, if you decide you want to run a marathon, it's like, if your only goal is to just complete it, then sure. You know, you don't need a coach, you know, you can do, you can do that on your own, but if your goal is aggressive, if you want to, you know, qualify for Boston or run at sub three or, you know, at some level, you know, win a marathon, when, you know, win your age group, win the marathon, whatever it is. It's like, if you wanted one of that, it's like, dude, you would go out and get a coach because your goals are, you know, very aspirational, you know? And so it's like, yeah, you know, that's, uh, it just kind of depends. It's like, look, just be honest with yourself about what your aspirations are and what your, what your goals are. And if you got big dreams, take big action. <laughs> yeah. And I, I didn't run a marathon until I turned 50. And so when I turned 50, I thought I'll run a marathon. And on top of it, I ran an ultra marathon. And how did I do that? I reached out to a running group. I got involved mm -hmm. and most of them were qualifying for Boston. So people are far better runners than I'll ever be. However, it was a tribe that supported each other, that uh, knew what they were doing, had run many marathons. And what a nice way to go run a, your first marathon, and that it's not a surprise because you've been surrounded by competence, capability, and, and people who care about your success. It, yeah. uh, it's an incredible uh, place to be with people like well, uh, John, I, I always appreciate our, our conversations and, uh, I never stop learning whenever I'm, I'm talking with you. And, uh, it's, uh, it is a testament to you and to the group that we are part of. And again, uh, you know, another plug for finding your, you know, finding your group of people and, you know, 
once and, and maintaining those relationships kind of at the right level is that it helps you be braver. And, uh, I think that you'll probably agree that I am a little more of a, I am a bolder CEO today than I was whenever we first met at the, at the hotel lobby and shared that cup of coffee. It's a, uh, it's an absolute pleasure to, to know you and, and see the phenomenal growth that you do. And, and, and I'm thankful that we're part of an environment where we can be responsible to each other. Thank you. Hey there, Travis Richards, one last time. Thank you so much for investing your time and tuning into the show. I really hope that this was helpful to you and I would appreciate your feedback very much. If you have some notes on what specifically from this episode was useful, or if you have ideas on what we can do better in the future. If you would like to support the show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. This helps other people find us and also just recommend us to a friend. To get in touch, visit us at www.getbetteratbusiness.com. That's all for this episode, and I hope that you'll join us again next time. Thanks.